You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I am truly grateful for each of you for tuning in today. And support for this podcast comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, bringing the Jackson Hole community residential and commercial food waste composting options. Call 307-733-7678 for more information. I'll begin today's episode with a little quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Curiosity is lying in wait for every secret. And welcome to episode number 248. Today's guest is Macy Mayer, a mom, business owner, published author, and much, much more. From the class of 98, which is the year Macy moved to Jackson, Macy has embraced mountain life because the mountains are in her blood. The same year Macy was married, she started a business with her husband. And shouldn't everyone start a business with their spouse the same year you get married? And Macy was raised with a spirit of adventure and found ways to feed that spirit with the support of her parents. Now Macy's a parent herself and a published author and is working with her husband to restore a historic ranch here in Wyoming. And today, you will hear from Macy how she celebrates the joys of life. Macy, thank you for taking the time to join me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. It's great to see you. You as well. So being episode 249, every episode, each guest gives some background. So this is your time to shine. And so Macy, where were you born and raised? I'm not going to say grow up because maybe some of us still haven't grown up. I haven't grown up. I'm still growing up. But where were you born and raised? And when did you come out to Jackson? And what brought you out here? I was born in a Blue Ridge Mountain town called Roanoke, Virginia. And I would say that is where mountain got into my blood. I loved going hiking as a kid and exploring. And in Virginia, you could, back when I was growing up, you could do that very easily, especially with a group of other kids your age. So behind our house was an immense spread of woods. And so there was a lot of land between houses and we would go and build forts in these oak woods. It was a lot of fun. There were a lot of raspberry patches. We would pick raspberries and have homemade pies that our parents mm. would make or just throw it over ice cream. But as, as a kid growing up, we had a lot of freedom. We really did. I loved it. I went to the University of Virginia where I got a, an undergraduate degree at the McIntyre School of Commerce in business. And I also got an environmental science minor. So it was one of those things where I really wanted to learn about ecology, about land. I took an amazing class called Weather of the Rainforest. It's very math oriented, but it was really good too. And I just really wanted to explore. Coming out west came in the form of skiing with my family. So it was always on outdoor adventures, but it was always skiing for spring break or Christmas breaks. And I would say we started that in about eighth grade through high school. And at some point, I just realized, you know, I instead of cross-country skiing this land, I'd really love to figure out what fly fishing would be like or experience it from a summer perspective, maybe go mountain biking, camping. So I really wanted to see that. But it was a summer between college years at UVA that I lived in Alaska. And 
What was great about that is if anybody's done a Knowles course, they have definitely one-upped me because my girlfriends and I at 19 wanted to do a Knowles course in Alaska. And our parents said, well, we're not paying for that. It's pretty expensive. And so we said, well, what if we just go live and work in Alaska and make our own money? And they didn't take us seriously, but we went to AAA, folded out four maps across the kitchen floor, used Coke cans on the corners to hold them <laughs> down, had highlighters, highlighted our, our four-page spread on how we were going to get from Virginia to Alaska, which is great because it's two days in the continental U.S. and then two days in Canada, and then you're in Alaska. And they didn't think we would pull it off. And not only did we pull it off at 19, but we took a stick shift and I taught my friend how to drive a stick shift along the way because we were just we were just learning as we went and we had this amazing magical summer in Alaska and we worked and took people hiking on glaciers and worked in a restaurant and was really a great experience kind of a coming of age summer and then went back to school finished at UVA and I thought for sure the outdoors at that point had to be out of my system I was going to work in Atlanta Worked for a big six accounting firm, but I just started to feel like I was becoming a robot and I didn't want to do it anymore. And then at that point, I decided that I was going to move move out west. And I had already lived a summer in Jackson Hole. And after that, I was like, I'm done with the big city. I'm not going to shop as my hobby or mm. passion. I'm going to actually put those shoes to use and go climb some mountains. So that's what I did. I moved to Jackson and I've just loved it since. It's home. And when did you move here? I moved to here, I would say for good in 98. I graduated from college in 96, lived in Atlanta for two years and mm -hmm. moved here in 98. We're the same graduation class. Yeah. Ooh, where did you go to school? University of Alabama. Oh my gosh. Roll Tide. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. I was in Arizona for a little bit, back to Mississippi, and then made my way out here. So did you grow up in the South as well, or you just chose? I did grow up in the South. I grew up in 14 years of Mississippi and then in, went to high school in New Orleans. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. So the best thing that I ever did was make it out here. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing it's place. because you can always go back to visit. That's the beautiful thing about the South. It has some great culture, great traditions, but you kind of move that with you. That's right. It's not that far from you because it's all resides in here, you know? That's right. So true. So you came, when you came out here in 98, what did you do to survive? Well, I would love to say I, I was one of those people that got to be a lift op. I really do. Um, Cause I love to ski, but I came out with a mindset that I needed to work and make money to pay rent. So I worked in accounting mm -hmm. and be I worked my way into being the assistant controller at Spring Creek Resort up where Amagani is. And I did that for a few years before Alex and I started our business. And Alex is your business partner? Mm -hmm. Your business and my partner? Husband. Your husband yes. and business partner. What's it like being married to your business partner? That's a Bring it all full, full circle. I mean, you're together all the time. I and mean, do you guys have kids? And We do. We started the business the year we were married. So it, it's funny. I wish Alex's dad was here to tell you all what he said to Alex. But he basically said at one point, um, why in the world would you start a business with someone 
that you're getting married to. Why don't you guys just go to Europe for a little while and, you know, kind of get that out of your system and then start your own careers? It was great because we were we just knew that that's what we wanted to do, given the fact that we did not have the same majors. The irony is he has an English major and I'm a writer. So it's great because we balance each other out really well. And the things that stress him out don't stress me out and, and vice versa. You're a business owner, you're a writer, and a now published writer. Mm -hmm. What does it take to say, I'm a writer? So funny. I think people loved, I think artists in general love to hide behind the one day I'll be great at something idea and concept. But at the same time, we all know that if you don't own it, it's not going to legitimately feel like you can tackle that next project. In order to go to the next project, anyone who starts writing needs to feel some sort of completion. But let me back up for a second, because I think a lot of times people are products of how they're raised. For instance, if you are a person who have parents who don't support you, then it's going to be very difficult accomplishing a task where you're seeing something through all the way to completion. But going back to the Alaska thing, our parents did not say no when we said, well, this is what we're going to do. This is our plan. You know, we've, we've babysit. We've, we've made the money that we need to make to make this happen. You don't have to pay. We were like, you don't have to pay anything. It's not going to cost you a dime. Um, and back then they didn't have cell phones. So they were really trusting that 319 mm. could get to Alaska by themselves. So what was so great about this, this concept for me, back to answering your question, is that I think people need support around them. And I think if you are a kid growing up in America today is allowing people to support you because you're going to rise and you're going to fall. But that's how you can complete a project. I mean, I think about you completing this is someone said to you okay now Stefan I need you to go and, and do 250 podcasts that probably would have seemed insurmountable mm. but at the end of the day you take it one personality one thing at a time just like you do with your kids your kids come home and they've scraped their knee well let's help you figure out what's next mm -hmm. you know are you going to let that hold you back from going to hang out with your friends and going to the jungle gym or going to sports today chances are they're going to say I you know, I never really thought about it that way, but no, it's not going to hold me back. And so I think I had really great parents who supported me, who allowed me to go live in Alaska, but just allowed me to be someone who uses their schooling, uses their free spirit, puts it together and goes off and, and becomes a writer and can say they're a writer without feeling, oh, but I'm not proven yet. Mm. I love what you said, you know, going back about with your parents and how even today kids need support that they didn't tell you no, but you guys, you and your friends figured it out and they gave you the support to do it. You want a great story? Please. Okay. Do I like are, stories? No, I don't like them. Not at all. No, we are literally pulling across the so the road that you drive on once you reach Canada is called the Alcan. It's the Alaskan-Canada Highway. They've combined it. It's called the Alcan. Well, we hadn't even gotten on the Alcan yet. We were just going through customs, coming in through Montana into Canada. And we come in 
through customs and they're like, ladies, pull over your car. We need to search it. And we're like, oh, we're 19. We probably look 14. And they're like, we have cause to believe that there's a need. We have to search your car. And we were like, man, this is a real bummer. So we're trying not to get nervous, but we're not the nervous sort. We start giggling a lot as we're waiting. One of my friends starts doing cartwheels. You know, and time is mounting and it's probably been like 45 minutes and we're waiting for these guys in uniforms to come over and tell us what's going on. And they've pulled out all our weird bags that we brought from Virginia, about pillows and duffels and everything, a lot of running shoes. And they come over to us and they're holding up a, like a, a shrivel of a leaf. And we're like, yes, what, what's with the leaf? And they're like, you tell us what's with the leaf. And we're like, um, it's a leaf. And they're like, no, no, it's a marijuana leaf. You guys have, should we search the car farther? Do you have more drugs in your car? And we're like, I mean, we're laughing at this point. We're like, this is comical. You guys are ridiculous. We don't have any marijuana in the car. I mean, maybe a beer can, but definitely not marijuana. And they were like, well, then what is this leaf? And they're like, like grinding it up even further. And I'm like, that would be an oak leaf from Virginia. We brought it all the way with us. We probably trampled it on our shoes. And they're like, good answer. You can go. Light it, it was, and you it was, tell us what it is. Like, like, that's an oak leaf. We can draw you the oak leaf. If right. you need to see what it looked like before it was shriveled up on the ground. <laughs> Man. Well, you, sounds like you guys, the three of you, made a phenomenal team and handled it exceptionally well. We did. I mean, We loved it. Well, and also we didn't get the jobs that we told our parents we were getting because we were not patient enough to get them. We pull into, we told them we're going to get jobs working at Mount McKinley at, you know, concessions or whatever job they want to give us. And we pull in there and fill out the applications, called ahead. We knew they had availability. We told them our story and they were like, well, yes, we can totally give you jobs, but you're going to have to wait two weeks to start. And we were, we, we just thought that that, you know, wasn't what we wanted to do. So we drove a little bit south, checked in at a little tiny little resort in a place called Moose Pass, Alaska, and got a job working at a little lodge there. You know, I was serving all different kinds of pies that were homemade and waiting tables. And then, like I said, we'd take people, we would show people where to start their hikes because at that point, it, Alaska stayed in that that point in the summer alaska stayed light all except for two to three hours so people could leave to go on uh, their camping trips at 10 p.m mm. so we would show them where to launch for that and where to catch the grayling uh fish and in the lakes up there it was re it was really pretty special you know a lot of trust back then i think i think anybody could say that when they were younger things seemed a lot safer I, I imagine when you were describing Roanoke, Virginia, growing up, I had the same thing growing up in Mississippi. It was a small town and we got on our bikes and in the summer we would, I think we'd show up for lunch and then go back and wherever and show up for dinner. But we would hear, you're not staying inside all day. Mm -hmm. And exactly. is it safe enough to go do all that stuff nowadays? I'm sure on, on some regards it is. You just have to be thoughtful and wise about what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I think also things are so much easier. You can get on a plane to go anywhere. Back then, no one, we would never have approached our parents and be like, can we catch a flight to Anchorage? Hmm. No, like no one would expect 
three 19 year olds on a plane at that point flying that far. Yeah. I don't think. What a remarkable time that you, you all got to spend in the car together. And I've, I've heard the Alcan is pretty. It's top notch. It's basically like if you can imagine a more rural Montana, mm -hmm. Hmm. it's pretty special. And also one thing that I still to this day captures me is up on the glaciers, there were a lot of bighorn sheep hmm. and you could see them. And I mean, they're, they're perched on places that you don't want to go. It's right. scary, <laughs> but they were beautiful, super white. And so let's get back to your writing, if we may, can we? Sure. Okay. All right. So you're a writer. You you now have a book. What I do. the title of your book is Fireworks and Fertility. Okay. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. What is the background of you beginning your writing? Where did you start with short stories or articles? How did you begin this journey? Everybody starts differently. I started with words. I thought words were just really the words themselves were creative in any way you could combine a word. It was like a puzzle. You could put together, you could string together a thought, a concept, a feeling, a mood, a situation. It's like being an entrepreneur. You don't know where you're going, but you know where you're going to get started and you feel a sense of confidence in that. And so I, I love to, I love when you throw out short stories, I guess I never would say what it was, but it was short stories, poems, I would see a commercial and then I would say, gosh, I think that commercial could be longer. That commercial could be developed into a real story. I see the emotion on that person. There's something real there. And I love that concept of things that happen in our world are really strange. And a lot of people say, God, that's stranger than fiction. You have to be really creative to make up fiction, right? Mm -hmm. We live in a world that is so wild, the situations that happen. They are, they're not predictable. So if you're going to create fiction, you got to stop and think about it. It's not something that you're going to just go down to the library, get a room and write for 45 minutes. It's going to need to be very well thought out in order for someone to want to read it. So did you have to create a map? Maps, that's a good way to put it. But I think I would say almost more like if you can imagine a family tree. Okay. Creating it based on settings and people and not only just words, but names always infatuated with names hmm. like your your name for instance i might be like oh is that an f or is it a ph is that an an or an en and a lot, oftentimes i'll meet people and unless their name is really common like mary where it's very typically spelled a certain way i will ask how they spell their name so that then that's how i see it in my head otherwise i'm not going to you know really be able to visualize that person how that person is and your first name is spelled a little differently mm -hmm. or differently from what I'm used to. Is there a background of how your parents spelled your first name? So my dad's grandmother was Macy Lavender and I was named after her. Mm. So great grandmother. Beautiful. And a lot of people ask me why I haven't named either. Like we have three kids. Why I haven't named either of my girls Macy or Lavender. And I sort of think it's a next generation. Save, save it for them. Let them savor that and stew on that and think if their person would fit that name. Yeah. I like generation skips. I like that. Yeah. So well, how about your name? Oh, my mom uh, is, is a gem. She was pregnant with me and took my brother to Disneyland. They lived in L.A. 
Los Angeles, not lower Alabama, because my parents were both um, <laughs> Alabama folks. Well, my dad went to Alabama. My mom grew up in Alabama. So my brother, they took my brother to Disneyland. She, my mom would talk to anybody. And she met, met a little boy the, by the name of Stefan. And who knows how that child spelled their name or how their parents spelled their name. But my mom felt that Stefan should be spelled S-T-E-P-H-A-N. She was probably one of the worst educated spellers that there was out there. My brother, sister, and I, her name was Mommy. So we said Mommy. And she's the only person that I ever know that spelled Mommy, M-O-M-M-I-E. That's adorable. I love that. Well, you, so many of these things are interchangeable, but you just need to know how they they do it, mm -hmm. you know? That's right. I love that. Yeah. And, and my, son, my son, he's 17 and a half. He is a horrible speller. We make so much fun of him. Like, he's always the first kid out, like, or second in the spelling bee. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like he was trying to blow it. He just actually was not good at spelling. <laughs> <laughs> he was always get a very odd word, too, that, not I grew up in Mississippi. I just blame my edu my spelling errors on the, that a fact that I went to grammar school in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's easy to get away with. For sure. <laughs> but I do have Where'd that. Did you spell Mississippi? Oh, M dot a letter, crooked letter, crooked letter, dot a letter, crooked letter, crooked letter, dot a letter, humpback, humpback, dot a letter. Mississippi. You sound like a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, I taught my son to, to do this as well, my nine-year-old son. And she's like, what, what is it again? And so he now knows how to spell Mississippi that way. That's adorable. Yeah, dotted Maybe. letter. I mean, it's not an I. Dotted it's letter. Letter with a dot on top. <laughs> yeah. Macy. That sounds like Morse code or something. Like some military, like. It's need, called Southern need, Code is what it is. Like need a decoder ring from a cereal box to figure that one out. Uh, a bag of pork rinds. Right. Yes. Cracker Jacks. Yes. Cracker Jacks. Yes, indeed. Those. We're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor, and we're going to be right back, Macy. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,662 tons of food waste are disposed of in the trash in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve the county's goal to reduce aiming for zero waste. For more information on Teton County, ISWR's residential and commercial food waste programs, visit tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle. Change begins with each of us, one day at a time. Sounds good. Maisie, welcome back. So enjoying this time talking to you right now and you are a, an absolute hoot and that must be your southern roots roots coming so. out yeah i think i can really take my time if you want me to <laughs> well, you, you well, can take as much time as you would like well all right well let's let me think about that um i grew up working in my grandfather's hardware store and there were some people that took their time for sure it's that's just the way the south is you just take your time on things mm -hmm. it just is so let's talk about fireworks and fertility mm -hmm. how did you develop the title well with the fourth of july coming up i'll have you know that it is my favorite holiday i love fireworks 
But I didn't always love fireworks when I was growing up in Virginia. There was a place where we always, the fireworks were always shut off. It was called Victory Stadium. And I was so young that the fireworks were so loud and thunderous that they scared me. I was the little, the little kid that was hiding between her dad's legs, hmm. in my ears, hated it. Now I love fireworks, especially if you're in Jackson Hole. During the 4th, fireworks are amazing. Absolutely amazing. And they light up the sky and it just, it basically stays lit. Maybe like Alaska in the summertime, just stays yeah. lit. Um, and I just love it. But what was important to me was the use of the word fireworks. Because I think fireworks also connotates a, an emotional uprising. Like it makes you think about things. It makes you feel. It can be explosive. It can change the landscape of a lot of things. And I just love that word fireworks. Uh, my name is Macy Mayer, so I love alliteration, hence fireworks and fertility. I thought they would change the name and they, because most titles are just working titles, but they loved it. They thought it was great. They thought it fit the content very well. And it really allowed for engagement. People to say, what, I wonder what that book is about, fireworks and fertility. What, you know, what does that mean? So I... I really felt like that was a good working title. And then, like I said, they, they chose it. And from there, pretty excited about how well it's turned out. What are those things where I think it'll be timeless because people read it as they know someone who's exper experiencing any sort of infertility or questions about, you know, birth or having a family, the importance of, you know, what that means to say, I want to have a child. Well, I I look forward to picking up a copy and being able and having that time to read your book. You talk about fertility and the the thought of having a child. And what was that experience for you? You said you're a parent. Mm -hmm. And it's unique to everybody. What was your experience of, of having children? Well, when you start a company like Alex and I did was before kids and your company basically becomes your your life's blood, like your work. It's almost like a child. You're working on it every day. We talk about this all the time at Livewater. You're working in the business. You're working on the business. And, you know, it shifts. Sometimes you really have to be strategic and forward thinking. And sometimes it's really putting out a fire and doing a day-to-day -day deal. So I think that for Alex and I, we were spending so much emotional energy starting the company that we were pretty drained at the end of the day. And it was difficult for us to feel romantic, feel in the mood. And once we were able to get to a point where we felt our work was steady, then all of a sudden we were pregnant. And it was just one of those blessings where we've watched and we can look back on this as a pattern and say, you know, sometimes when our, our business has been faltering, our family is flourishing and vice versa. It's really this incredible, but what it is, is really taking the time to appreciate what you have, to appreciate when you've dug in, to appreciate the people that are around you, supporting you and believing in you. Even if they're not buyers of ranches, they believe in what we're doing and they're recommending us to other people. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always felt that way when I was working on this writing, I felt after we had Beckett, I felt so creative and I knew that a lot of people were experiencing infertility and I really wanted to write it from a standpoint of this is an option for people. And I spoke with somebody who was an embryology consultant 
I had to go and she, and she was very open to talking with me about it. And she wasn't tied to a clinic. So she wasn't a doctor making money off of cases, but also like really serving her, her patients. And it wasn't about a patient, but it was about somebody who was an embryolo embryologist. And that embryologist is someone who really is behind the scenes making it all happen. And because back to the whole science thing, I love science. I was so intrigued. I wanted to learn more. And so the more I uncovered, the more I felt like the embryologist was the person that I wanted to follow. And so that is my protagonist in the novel. And I just recently had someone stay in our cabin. And it was, if you remember this spring, we had so much moisture. Mm. They thought they were coming to Jackson for this like much needed vacation. And it was all rain. The mist came in and this visitor guest, she picked up a copy of my book because I had a copy laying around the cabin and that's what she did. And she read my book in one day. I've never had anyone, I don't, to my knowledge, nobody's ever written, written, read my book in one day. And I just thought, well, gosh, that just is really testament that this was something that was a story. They wanted to see what would happen next. Mm -hmm. And so I was really grateful for her sharing that with me and grateful that my story could touch her in that way. You caught that person's in streak of interest. Way Absolutely. to go. Yeah. And what a great surprise. I think it's funny that you had a book laying around, laying around in the cabin. Um, that was good strategy. Alex um, will take some over from time to time. Sometimes they get taken and passed on to other people, but they were there was one copy over there. That's that's how but you get them around. Well, that it's in there, right? Like, yeah, to be a reader to pick it up. I mean, we have tons of other books in there. Tons of books in there. That's how you start it. Do you and Alex have a ranch? We just purchased one, not this spring, but last spring. Mm -hmm. And what defines... That was, that was a COVID purchase. Okay. <laughs> Some people bought campers. You guys bought a ranch. Mm -hmm. What defines what you purchased as a ranch? Oh, that is such an amazing question. So I think that we know how valuable land is in Jackson. The acreage can be a lot lower to be considered a ranch. If you're in an outlying area from one of these areas like Jackson, where it's 5% private land and over 95% public land, if you're in like more of a normal, more rural setting, then I would say 40 acres or more. Our ranch is 680 acres, so it's a working ranch. It runs cattle, it's being hayed. And we want to continue it that way, but there's some projects that we want to do. Our company really believes in preserving and enhancing properties so that they'll be around for generations to come. So we're working on some projects with the river corridor itself to make it more habitat friendly for ducks, for geese, for the wildlife corridor, for elk, obviously for trout, you know, really making the repairing corridor corridor better, not being beat down by the cattle in that area. Well, thank you for preserving that land in, in such a fashion. Well, we're excited about it. I mean, it's not a project for everyone. If you're mm -hmm. based out of Chicago, I don't know that you'd be able to handle different types of projects. We could help you find the right people to help you handle these projects. But in our case, we're kind of handling them ourselves. But what's so amazing is there's so many wonderful nonprofits out there that are regional, local, statewide, that help want to work with you to create better habitat and put it back to the way it was or create it to a better, preserve it in a better state going forward. 
Mm-hmm. So there are tons of people willing to help you out. Sometimes it can be a time-consuming process, but these people are very knowledgeable about uh, what is native. On 640 acres, are there different ecosystems that are on that property that you would find? Gosh, I love your question. That's amazing. I will tell you on this particular property, I would say there's probably only one. Uh-huh. One, I mean, because I think the way this property is situated the climate rolls through, probably stays together throughout that property. But it's it's in a very iconic central Wyoming landscape, a lot more red rock. It's not mountainous like Jackson, where you might have different ecosystems happening at the same time. Hmm. But I'm, I will tell you, there there are cactuses on part of the ranch, but then not on other parts of the ranch. So it does it does change based on based on the topography, based on if you're closer to the river corridor or if you're up higher. I love learning about history, a very curious mind about history. And you're the second person who I've spoken to that, well, actually not the second person I've spoken to that has a ranch. Um, There's been a few others. Do you know the history of this piece of property, like from the time that it started to be settled or worked? Well, what we do know is there was a family that owned it prior to us, uh-huh. and they were they're a pretty important, prominent family here. But as with a lot of these ranches, oftentimes when people go off to make their career, nobody's paying attention to the ranch. So the ranch can be kind of abused. Mm-hmm. So as we're stepping back in to, and taking over, and God, there's so many great words for it, but I would say the word rehabilitate, rehabilitating the structures and getting some of the areas where the cattle have beat the property down and getting that back, also trying to learn the history as well. It backs up to the Mead Ranch and um, Kirby, where Wyoming whiskey is. Mm-hmm. So there is it's definitely going to be... It's also in an area where you can imagine Lewis and Clark coming through because mm-hmm. it is not an extreme environment. One thing I definitely want to mention to you is that it is... It's in Hot Springs County, and it is located beside or near all of the thermals that the hot springs that come up. And that's right a lot. I don't know if you've ever been to that area of Thermopolis, but it it almost looks like it has its own geysers like Yellowstone. So it's Mm -hmm. definitely feels like you're stepping back in time. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll back to you on the history of this place because I love that you asked this because this is something I want to write about. We've not chosen a name for the ranch. Mm. And the reason we haven't chosen it, we call it Bighorn Farms because it's on the Bighorn River. But we haven't chosen a name because our name might need to be something that has to do with the history of the ranch, Mm -hmm. which we need to uncover. Yeah, I mean, Alex threw out Thirsty Boot, but I don't think we're going to go with Thirsty Boot. (laughs) I mean, something a little more historical. We both know that. That's why we haven't named the ranch yet. You know, that was big... As you know, big um, Native American territory. Uh-huh. But also, I think around that area is a um, museum for like dinosaurs and fossils. Uh-huh. Correct. And there's a lot. I don't know if a lot of people know, but if you go to museums around the country, there's a lot of fossils in those museums that probably came from Wyoming. And Montana. Mm-hmm. Those are the two main ones for oldest dating back artifacts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we haven't been over there, but I've been to Thermopolis before and 
it it does feel as though you are going back into time in in that area. It's it is magnificent. Well, and speaking back to your when you alluded to the history with Indians, it's amazing because what a lot of people don't know, people always say, you know, is your property on the Bighorn or is it on the wind, the Wind River? And what's so cool about it is the Wind River comes out of the reservoir down through this canyon and that area is Native American. And so you have to have a fishing license from them in order to fish that particular part. Then it forms the wedding of the waters, which I think is such a beautiful term, being a writer, called the wedding of the waters. And it's not two rivers merging. It's the Wind River turning into the Bighorn River before it flows. Is it? Down. Yes. It's really cool. And it's a great put in place for, for fly fishing. Hmm. It's at the base of the Wind River Canyon. Well, I'm sure over the years since you've been here, you've um, been honing your fly fishing skills. Do you? Do you? Are you yeah. a fly fishing person? It's one of my favorite things. And I think in life, when you live in a place like Jackson, where there's so many opportunities, you really have to say, okay, what is the activity like when I'm writing where time seems to stop? Mm. And if you can figure out not just time seems to stop, but you also want to get better at that pursuit, right? So you're investing time into it. And I would say fly fishing is at the top of my list. Is it? I absolutely mm -hmm. love it. And I can't get enough about of seeing the trout when you pull them out of the water, handling them as softly as possible before you get them back in, but really taking in. I mean, their skin is like a landscape. It's landscape mm -hmm. architecture. It's beautiful. Just absolutely glorious. The different colors... The hue, they're often iridescent. It depends on if you are fishing in, on a gloomy day versus a bright sunny day. The colors will look entirely different. Mm. Way when you put them back in the water, they camouflage so well that they don't even look like a fish anymore. They look more like an underwater torpedo. Mm. It's really fun. That is one activity out here that I haven't gotten into. You're there's invited. There's still plenty You're of time. Thank you. <laughs> I do love the hiking though because mm -hmm. of the places you can go and the things that you can see when you spend a little bit more time on the trail and as you said feeling as though time is standing still i think when you're back in the mountains and you're away from the masses of people time in a way stands still because so much of that area especially when you're in the wilderness that's what it, the way it looked however many hundreds of years ago, I mean, taking into consideration natural disaster or some fires that have come through, but it's untouched. Mm -hmm. And you get to see this, the, the lakes and the rivers and the streams and the trees and, and all the wildlife that's back there. And I'm sure it's, I would imagine the same experience when you're fishing. Um, you get to experience yeah, but that I, too. I love to hike too, because I feel it gives you a sense of wonder. I would say Delta Lake is one of my favorites. Yes. And I love Sleeping Indian. Mm -hmm. I, so cool. So cool. I love it. Have you been to Lake of the Crags? I love that you say that because that was, God, I had a life turning moment. I loved when you asked that question in your bio stats. But I had a moment with my dad up there that was pretty life changing. I was in my early 20s and I was trying to figure out where I wanted to be. And if I was going to stay in Jackson. And my dad and I were on a hike up there. I can't remember if we took the boat across to 
you know, take less time or not. But we went up there, we had our bear spray and you have to really figure out where you're going. You had to look for that little stump. You go around the stump and then you're into these really cool switchbacks. But while we were up there, this storm came in. And so we're on up there at the farthest lake and got, it had gotten dark. The storm came in. We are hunkered down under a tree. We, it, we, we could tell it was going to pass pretty quickly. And I just remember the conversation that I had with my dad at that point. And he said, you know, this place really becomes you. And I could just, like, I didn't really even, I was so young to even know what he meant by that. But I've thought about that saying so many times that he knew that I was happy here. And he appreciated that. And that I could be done searching for the place that I wanted to live. Hmm. So, you know, I really feel like that was an epic moment. Glad you brought that place up because that's the one and only time I've been up there. And it was so meaningful. It's special. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. And my dad lives here too. So he'd appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> he decided to stay. <laughs> right on. That's, he was going to leave Colorado and then he decided to stay. And then my mom lives in Virginia still, so mm -hmm. I get to see her. She lives on a lake, and so I spend time with her at different points of the year. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. Isn't it fascinating how our parents or somebody important in our life says something at some stage in our life? It might not have meaning at that point, but later on we reflect on what was said, and it's like, whoa. Now I understand. Okay, so I challenge you to say something really meaningful to your boys at just the right moment. Isn't that the most difficult thing about being the parent, right? Like you have mm -hmm. to say, I'm not going to get back to that person. I'll call them tomorrow. I'm not going to wash those dishes because I can do that after I put my kids to bed. You know, really just stopping yourself because someone needs you. And that's exactly what my dad did. He made time to go on a hike with me, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, it's... Like you said, you don't think it's poignant in the moment. I didn't really know what he meant, but I remembered the words were reverberated around my brain a bunch. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, yeah, this place becomes you. I think this place becomes a lot of people. It does. And it takes a special person to want to call this place home, this valley home and the state home. And, and the West, it's, it's not easy living out here, but it is very rewarding and not just rewarding, but I also feel as though you can find what your meaning and purpose is by being out here versus getting caught up in, let's say when you were in Atlanta, working at one of the big accounting firms, you were just part of the hustle mm -hmm. at that point. Well, it's so funny. I was having a really uh, tight knit conversation with a good friend. It was a group of us, but something she, one of my friends said, and she has three kids older than my group, older than your group. And she was just overcome by this sense of people not really understanding their identity or what they're meant to do, where someone works so hard nowadays, these young people, they work so hard to get into these competitive colleges. They go through, they graduate, they land a job. And then, they ha and then she was telling me that one of her friend's sons said, is this all there is? Hmm. Like, is this all there is? Now I've got this great job. Is this it? And so I think that what we all need to realize is that what is it are the people that you're around. If you're working with the right people, 
if you're going home to see the right people, if you're spending your weekends with the right people, they're building you up and they're making you feel like, yes, this is it. You know, I feel that way when I come to work on a Monday morning. Yes, this is it. You know, I'm not I'm not searching for something. I know it's going to be a challenging day. I know the IT people are going to call me at the very last minute that I want them to call me, but I got to answer the phone and I got to be nice because their job is to help me. But it's not when I want them to call. I'm trying to accomplish all these other things with our brokers, our marketing team, our growth. You know, it, it, it is it, you know, knowing that it's it is great. Well, well said. And I'm, I'm glad you shared that, that, that story from your friend, because, um, there's meaning in everything that we do. It's a matter of, do we slow down enough to discover and allow that meaning to surface? And in what we do, do we allow, are what we doing, is that what's filling up our cup? Mm -hmm. Replenishing that cup. And you have to take your time to figure out with what's next for you, Yeah, you know, how you're gonna, how you're gonna bring you, Stefan, there to that moment when it's a critical decision that has to be made, you know, you're showing up for that new venture. And it's important for us to also show our kids how to do that too. Mm -hmm. Because you hear about so many kids that are anxious or they put so much pressure on themselves. We as parents have to teach our kids. There's more important things and it will all come together when you put the right energy into it, the right positive energy. In it. Mm -hmm. I yeah. agree. Really celebrating the joys. Yes. We can get caught up in negative, but really celebrating the joys. You know, I, our daughter is um, a repeat camper at a one soccer school camp in Santa Barbara. It's a sleepaway camp. It's a 10-day deal. Six of them went last year. Only three went back this year because I, those and those three that went, they really did not want to go leading mm. up to it because they knew it was going to be so challenging. It is run. The structure is really intense. The amount of soccer played in a given day is approaching 10 hours. You know, there's yoga, there's nutrition meetings. Like it's really awesome, but it's intense. And I think they were all like, we're just not quite right. We're ready for summer. We're not really ready for this camp. It just sounds like drudgery. I don't know if I can wrap my brain around it. And I spoke with my daughter like probably like seven, 36, 36 to 40 hours into it. And she said, are you, guess what, mom, guess what? And I said, what? She goes, well, instead of us starting our first soccer session at 6 a.m. this year, we're starting it at seven. And it was like, she was finding all of these other little, other things about the camp that she thought wasn't going to be good that mm -hmm. just exceeded her expectations. And she's growing, like she's, she's flourishing. She's out there. She's doing what she's meant to be doing. And just going to come back here and have grown from the experience. But I think that if you don't celebrate those little joys, those little things that surprise you in a given day, then you can get overcome with how exhausting that one soccer session was or, oh, I didn't really, you know, have a great rapport with that coach. Things aren't going well. But I think just really keep that sunny side up. That's right. Keep the sunny side up. I like that. Well, Macy, I so appreciate this time that we've gotten to talk and get to know each other a lot more and look forward to finding one of your books at one of the bookstores around town. And I wish you all the great success and all the best with um, what comes next for you and for your, your family. Thank you so much to the next chapter. That's right.
to the next chapter. Cheers, Macy. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Stefan. To learn more about Macy Mayer and her book, Fireworks and Fertility, visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com episode number 248. Thank you, Michael, for keeping this podcast going through the marketing and the editing and production. Folks, if you want to do a podcast, reach out to Michael. He can help you out. And thank you to my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William. I appreciate you all listening. All of you fans who listen, share this podcast with your friends and family or somebody that you haven't connected with in a while. I do appreciate you sharing your time with me today. And cheers till next week for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.